American dream is not dead. Listen to Neil and Jeff share their leadership experiences through a new kind of leadership podcast. This is The American Hustle. I'm leveled up. And this is my world Good morning, afternoon, evening, wherever, however you are joining us. This is the American Hustle, where we believe the American dream is not dead. This is a podcast all about entrepreneurship, self-improvement, and just downright being a good human being. My name is Neil with SFJ4x4.com, and I am joined by our decorated producer, Jeff Shermani. See, look, I gave you, I gave you all the leeway. I know, I, just, I was, I was prepared for you to just keep vamping. And I, well, I, I might start now. I oh, might start now. Okay. Well, see, I'm really fired up about this uh, today's topic. Well, today's topic is uh, Mr. Perfect. Right. Per- right. Isn't that you know what we all esteem for? It is, and I, I'm gonna, you know, poke some holes in that. Oh, uh, always. I, I wouldn't expect anything less. <laughs> so we're we're gonna obviously talk about that, and then we'll get to the quote of the week at the end. Uh, I tried to pick one that's related as usual. Sure. And then, you know, obviously take a few moments, like, subscribe, give us that five-star rating. Yeah, absolutely. And if this is your first time joining us, please uh, understand that this is a sister podcast. This is a this is an organic conversation on what makes us uniquely us, first and foremost. And when I say us, I mean uh, Jeff the Italian Stallion, Shiramonte, and, and myself, Neil Simpson. But ultimately, it is a spinoff or a sister podcast from our wildly successful automotive podcast, uh, I Speak Jeep. So if you have any interest in you know, the automotive industry or kind of wondering where, you know, where our, our flagship uh, character traits lie, you might want to head over and find that. But this podcast is, podcast is intended to reveal some of the inner workings of uh, what what we like to refer to again on the the flagship business, the SFJ four by four difference, but some of those unique characteristics that allow us to come together and serve our uh, community of automotive enthusiasts and and jeepers, uh, because we are, are are catered to a particular brand in the in the off road industry. Um, but ultimately, this is intended to be. For the most part, an organic conversation combining the 40 years of combined experience between Jeffrey and myself, and that's things from volunteer organizations, uh, nonprofit management, for-profit management, uh, and uh, and now obviously in a you know community-based for-profit entity that's you know SFJ four by four, but um, where we we get to you know, kind of be masters of our destiny, employing a lot of these concepts and characteristics that we share with you here. And specifically, today's topic, Mr. Perfect, is one that uh, is, if I could reveal one of uh, what I would say, one of my top five secrets, if you will. It's not a secret because I say it, you know, with frequency enough and share with people enough. But this is one of those top five concepts that you know, really helps govern how we deal with customer service and, uh, and just self-regulation. Yeah. So super, super interesting topic. I hope that you all, you know, kind of hunker down and enjoy it and, and hopefully you can employ this in your life. Additionally, as, as Jeff mentioned, there is going to be a quote a week. That's my favorite part. So hold in there and, and be part of that. 
uh, it's usually on my my tech notes or prep notes. I don't know. I don't even look because I want to experience it with you, the listener. We'll be experiencing it organically together. So you'll be hearing it and I'll be hearing it necessarily. And finally, we want you to be part of this conversation and you too will be able to give us feedback and con- and, and engage in conversation. We love reading uh, listener feedback. We, we do it with both podcasts, with our YouTube channel, all of those types of social mediums. And we'll tell you how you can get involved uh, at the end of the podcast as well. Well, I suppose if there's, did you want to follow up from anything we've talked about previously, Jeffrey, or no, we jump I, right into? I think we're going to jump right in because this does kind of tie into effective leadership as well. Yes. Um, it's kind of not part of that series, but a continuation in, in a sense. I, I agree entirely. Um, and really, the first talking point that I prepared is perfection isn't the goal. Totes. Uh, because, you know, I'm, I'm just going to say where I'm going to throw away the phrase, uh, practice makes perfect. That phrase has been thrown around for years. We grew up on that phrase. Yes. Um, I'm going to tell you in our household, we don't say that. We say practice makes better. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Interesting. I dig it. I dig it. That's um. Here's here's where the concept for me lies, folks. And then I want to circle back to uh, for Jeffrey's household and practice makes better. It's just it's just very cool. Uh, ultimately, the phrase that I use all the time. And this is my number one secret to customer service, especially when mistakes happen because mistakes happen no matter what you do. Yep. We cannot control accidents. That's why they're called accidents. That's something we're not planning for, we're not preparing for, we're not intending to happen. It's just life happening, right? And <clears throat> there is obviously, you know, that concept, that conversation of life happens. Uh, we've certainly heard a four-letter word, you know, interchanged with life other than life, right? Oh, yeah. And and it just happens. And so <clears throat> how we as individuals respond to that will dictate our success or failures. I'm glad right? I'm glad that you brought that up because that is going to be one of our talking points and it's a 1090 rule. Okay. So we'll get to that. All right. We'll get to that. I love it. Here's my phrase. Here's my my number one customer service. Uh, secret phrase. It's not too secret. And what I say constantly when something, you know, when crap hits the fan, I tell the customer or I say internally, it's not how many times we do things perfectly, but how we respond when things are not going the way we wanted them to. And some variation, right? It doesn't have to be those exact words, but it is always the concept of starting out of, it's not how many times we do things perfect or right or the way, you know, correct or whatever, you know, phrase you want to insert there, but how we respond because life is going to happen. And the only thing that we can do is respond appropriately to make it better and not worse. Correct. Right. And that we are control of that. So once the accident happens, again, accidents happen mechanically, a part fails, uh, we were distracted during installation. Uh, we just, you know, there's, we did the best we had with what we, we could, you know, some, something along those lines that that's a parameter that we cannot change. Once the accident or the mistake or the less than desirable interaction occurs, that again, that collision course was, we can front load it. We can do our best to make sure that it's not, 
uh, you know, that it's an avoidable situation is avoided. But something's going to happen no matter what. Correct. And how we respond is what will set us apart. And I share that with the customer or internally with uh, with our employees and our processes internally to say, okay, this this feels pretty crummy, right? This moment is uh, this weight bearing down on us from this poor interaction, from this mistake, from this accident, from whatever. This moment feels like hot garbage, yep. but I can control how I respond to it and I can respond in ways that make us better, right? To use that term. And not only how you respond, but what you can do to prevent that from happening in the future. Exactly. Exactly. You know what? And I'm just going to jump on that real quick and say, you know, we had a, uh, uh, we had an unfortunate situation in the automotive industry. And if you've ever had a wheel or tire fall off of your vehicle, you know that it can be a very scary thing. The unfortunate reality is it does happen. It happens in mass, right? All across the country, people, wheels and tires do fall off of vehicles post-service. You know, and then I get the, the conversation and go, well, it doesn't fall off when it leaves the dealership. I bought a brand new vehicle, had four miles on it, and my wheels don't fall off. That's fine. But there are stories about people who drive off the brand new dealer lot and that vehicle is dead on the side of the road within a couple hours. Yes. That does happen still, right? So the analogy of the wheel falling off, regardless, happens in life. But specifically in service due to thermodynamics, uh, torque ratings, uh, old lug nuts, old lug studs. There's a whole bunch of mechanical components there that can uh, be variables within the proper application of torque and wheel structure on a vehicle. Wheels do fall off. Now, with that said, we can front load ourselves and we have as a business. And it's important to note, folks, I'm going to share this with you right now. I did a service on my father's vehicle. I was about 16 or 17 years old. I did a service on his vehicle and he was trucking down the highway within a hundred miles of that service and the wheel fell off. Okay. That was impactful to me. It was terrifying. I was, um, I was forever affected by that. My dad was perfectly fine. He understood something was going wrong. The vehicle started to shake. He got off the side of the road as he was doing that and, and, you know, slowing down. That's when the wheel decided to exit stage left. Right. He came home. How he responded to me was appropriate. We talked about it. We, you know, he was obviously a little fired up. He, he, and you know, kind of conveyed the importance of what was happening, and it became very impactful for me. <clears throat> With that said, it has still happened in my professional career. Sometimes, uh, by by failure of componentry. Sometimes by it's just overlooked because it seems to be a, a simple oversimplified process. And sometimes just due to the case of what's called thermodynamics, which is an aluminum wheels expansion and contraction under load. You basically have two different kinds of, uh, of steel or you have two di different types of metal. Yep. One being a, a, a form of steel and one being a form of, of aluminum. And they heat and cool at different speeds. And that's if you're listening to this and you never heard about this before and you weren't sure how your vehicle worked. That's part of the secret is two different types of metal and they heat and cool differently. With that said, um, we have processes now internally yeah. that we have created, which have uh, documentation, checklists, uh, applied uh, and approved torque ratings. We use approved 
tooling mm-hmm. to attempt to front load that experience. And uh, all of our employees own torque wrenches. I mean, it's amazing. If you go to a garage and you're not a, you're not an automotive, you're not a motorhead or a nuts and bolts person, go to the garage and ask them about a torque wrench. If they don't have one, you got to go find somewhere else, right? Yep. So all of our employees have these things. And realistically, we thought we were doing everything right. And inadvertently, uh, the last piece of that conversation for us, we actually had a customer go on. They put hundreds of miles on their vehicle. Uh, They went heavy off-roading with it. And they still had a little bit of a, they had a problem. The wheel loosened up. the, The lug nuts backed off. And the last piece for us, or the last piece that we have corrected, is actually creating a piece of documentation, which then uh, a documentation and then a process that we perform in front of the customer. Yep, we were doing the we were doing our process, but we were doing it. You know, as soon as our technician got done with their installation and their work, uh, we would you know do a lug nut check. We had a process that we thought was good. Yeah, and we still got bit in the butt. Because this customer put hundreds of miles on their vehicle. They wheeled, the, they wheeled it at off-road events, and the, the wheels still backed off. And so we went ahead, and I used this exact phrase. It's not how many times we do things perfectly. I was pissed. I'm not going to lie. Because we have the tools. We have the, the inclination. We understand it. We, we, we value this process. Yeah. And we still had a problem, and that customer blamed us. Yeah. There's no self-responsibility there, and that's frustrating. We had front-loaded it as best we could. You know what we did, folks? We created an additional layer of processy. Yep. We went ahead. Jeffrey actually, I believe, developed the document. Yes. And uh, and we developed a processy internally. We came together as a team. Uh, I kind of challenged our team to say, hey, <clears throat> this stuff's going to continue to happen. Mm-hmm. How do we insulate ourselves from this the best possible, right? Practice makes better right we're, we we thought we were perfect we thought we were better yeah and 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 we weren't obviously because here we are you know uh removed from this customer months and months removed miles and miles and miles removed and the wheel and tire backs off it, it completely inadvertently to anything that we did right but we still got blamed because for the customer there's a direct link or correlation because they don't know any better they don't know Correct. why that would be happening so we developed yet another document and another processy. Yep. It's not a waste of time. It's not just to fulfill somebody's job, right? right? That's really valuable. Corporate America constantly makes self-fulfilling gobbledygook to, you know, appease somebody's job, right? A, another documentation just to make somebody happy. That's not this. Right. This is a purpose-driven processy and document. And it improves the customer experience. And we've actually had customers 100%. literally telling us they have recommended us solely on the fact that we took the time to walk around the vehicle with them afterwards 100%. and do that document. And so it's so valuable. Um, and I'm going to go back to one of the earliest uh, podcast uh, quotes, which is, you know, which, you know, credit to Jeffrey has made a tremendous impact on me. One of those things that just resonates the concept of sharpening our axe, yes. right? So the service that we provide is part of a greater whole. So while I think we have some of the most fantastic technicians in the automotive industry and in the off-road industry, they're just their job is just part of the overall service. 
from the moment that the customer drops off to the moment that the customer, you know, rides off into the sunset, that is all as important as the actual installation of the part onto their vehicle. I'd argue that it's more important. Potentially, right? It's that existential feeling that they get when dealing with us. And at the end, we do a full walk around now. We torque the wheels in front of you. We have a document that has the prescribed torque ratings on it. We make sure that that is indicated, circled, and the customer is educated in the process. And then, and then we have the customer initial it. Yes. That they were present during this process. You have to be educated by us and you have to say, yes, I was part of this process that now you share some of that responsibility as the consumer. Yes. We make a copy and we send you on your, you know, give it to you at your, your final checkout and send you on your way. Mm -hmm. Uh, we created a process. So it's not how many times we did things perfect, despite the fact that I felt we put as many positive processes in place. There was a lot of P's in that statement. Yeah, there positive was. processes <laughs> in place. We still got our, 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 our butt chapped on something that we couldn't control per se. Correct. But it, I didn't let that break us. We didn't, we didn't hum and ha and well, that's the customer's fault. And we did everything, you know, right. And, you know, no, I believe the, the very statement that you had said, Neil was, how can we do this better? How can we do it better? And we sat down and we talked through and we figured out a process that makes it better for us and the customer. 100%. It gives us the peace of mind as the technician, as the individual touching that, uh, that vehicle, protecting both their and our investments and, and doing better. So that's, that's the concept right in a, a nutshell. And that's where it kind of personally has touched me. And, but, but at the same time, we do it constantly. We right. do it absolutely constantly from very little interactions to very massive. This was obviously a massive, this created policy within our, our, our industry or within how we operate within our industry. And, uh, and so that was very big, but even just little things, uh, this same concept, it's not how many times we do it exactly right or perfect, but it's how we respond. Well, and I, as a company, you've, you've done a wonderful thing with having a weekly meeting with all the employees and that weekly meeting isn't just about what's going on for that week, but hey, is there a process that we could all improve upon? Is there any suggestions on something that we could make better as a company? Absolutely. And, and we take that time as employees to discuss it through. You know what? And here's the thing. And, and just in my own personal experience when, when we're, we're talking about that, um, <clears throat> I, I had a lot of formal experience in uh, team building and leadership development and uh, and group management and whatnot. And you know what? When I started this uh, by myself full time, obviously there was nobody else to have meetings with and there was nobody to uh, to create policies and procedures with. I, it was just me. I was a lone wolf, right? And that was so, the first time. I'm going to stop you there because that's that was a mistake on your part if that's the case. Well, that's what I'm about to... Okay. Well, that's what I'm going to get into a little bit. Yeah. But I'd be interested to hear what your feedback is. With that said... That is that is where I recognize. I look back and I go, I wasn't connected appropriately 
with the foresight of growing the business at that time. Yes. I was so consumed. And if you're listening to us and you're just, you're starting out making soap in your kitchen, um, or you're just in a department within a larger corporate structure where you're on your own, you're by yourself, or if you are just, you, you feel like you are in a position where you are operating as an individual. Again, I cannot encourage you enough to, to not get stuck in that moment, but to look forward. And that was a mistake that I made. I wasn't looking forward as to how I could implement processes appropriately, not when it was just me by myself, but as a, as a group, as a whole, as a, as a organization, right? So, and I wasn't even going with that. I'm okay. specifically saying you weren't by yourself. Yes, you were the only one running the business, but you shouldn't, there's a, there's a great book about it called Never Eat Alone. Okay. You should never assume that it, just because it's your company and you're the only employee that you're alone. You should be able to reach out to a network of people. There's yes. tons of groups out there that would love to help. Chit-chat with family, with friends, work through and get other people's input from outside of your scope. And 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 so I agree entirely with you, right? And that's almost uh, an opportunity for an additional, that's an additional uh, topic because I feel so strongly because I got into a, a deep mental health uh, concern because of what I call survival mode. Correct. And survival mode is when you feel alone, right? Yeah. And so it's that concept you're talking about right here. For me, this is, we're just, we're just scratching the surface, folks, to say, when I was starting out, I wasn't thinking forward. I was thinking I was alone, right, to your comment here. Additionally, when we brought on our first full-time employee, I was not having those meetings in a regularly scheduled, uh, prioritized time. Right. And that was another mistake that I see that I, uh, that I created, right? And I credit... Uh, in this situation and folks, if you're on, if you fall into our, I speak deep podcast or follow us on our social, you'll see me talk about our lead performance, Greg, he needed that meeting time. And he's the one who pushed for it. Right. Initially, I would have liked him to push for it a little bit differently. And we've talked about that in the past, but his, his need for communication and to prioritize and organize. And once, once we started doing it and, and it was awkward at first, Right. Um, it made all the difference in, I think, uh, in how we related to each other, how we related to internal processes. And we were able to, it was almost like you could, you were throwing another log on the fire. Oh yeah. Once we actually made that a priority, how many other businesses do that though? With a one, two, three person, um, employee type business, how many people are carving out a dedicated meeting time? I don't actually know. I don't see enough people talking about that. Right. right? I see bigger businesses. Well, hey, we're having a department meeting. And usually it's a meeting that could have been an email. Is it actually a productive meeting? Correct. Right? Again, another talking, but, another and, talking and time. And even then, a lot of those times, those meetings are once a month sure. or once a quarter. Sure. They're not a weekly just check in, see how everyone's doing, see what what is going on for the week, Yes. what we can improve upon, yes. things like that, and just actually having a, a productive conversation. Yes. And that's so, and then, you know, we could talk about what does productive conversation look like because of all of those parameters you've just outlined and trying to be very direct in that meeting experience. Correct. Um, 
can be can be some challenge, uh, but but it makes it makes a big difference. It's part of being better, right? So what what in your household? <clears throat> obviously, practice practice doesn't make perfect necessarily, and I've heard perfect practice makes perfect. You know, a couple yep. different uh, variations. Uh, I you know at this point in my life, I recognize I'm not interested in perfect. Right? Correct. I'm interested in every day. Do I get a little bit better? I, and you literally just nailed exactly what it is in our household with our kids. You know, we, we again, we're raised on that practice makes perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. Those types of things. And the problem with that is when you strive for perfection, it actually puts extra stress on you and can actually 100%. inhibit your ability to actually do better. hundred percent. So the the with our with our three kids are they're young but we're teaching them practice makes better. We don't ever expect anybody to be perfect, but we do expect you to continue to try to get better and improve upon it day after day. Whether you, whether it's just learning something new that day or whether it's just repeating what you've already done yes. over and over again until it becomes creating awareness as well. Because yes. I mean, you could you could enter into an activity, uh, you know, say you enroll your kids in soccer because they're all hyped up, and you know, one of them likes it and one of them doesn't. That's awareness, right? Now yeah. all of a sudden we can process that and say, okay, why don't you like soccer? Right? Why don't you like? Uh, clarinet lesson. Maybe you like piano better. Maybe you want to be a drummer. Okay, that awareness, right? That practice makes better. That betterment is awareness. Equally as important is sometimes your day is going to flat out fail. Yeah. You, what you set out to do is going to fail because that's life. Now, if I have my focus on Mr. Perfect, that could crush you. Yeah, it's detrimental. Right? It's detrimental. However, if the what you conjure up at the end of the day is I'm going to try again tomorrow. Right. That is number folks. If you want to know, you want to look in at me and say, "Hey, how did how did you survive this? How did you do that? How did you achieve this? How did you garner these things?" It must be nice. I heard that over the weekend for me. It must be nice. All right, cool. Thanks. Go on. Move on about my day. Yep. Um, when you're looking at me, one of the biggest phrases that I employed in my life was, "I will try again tomorrow." And I found a partner, my my spouse, who shared that with me. Yes. And even through some of our the depths of our biggest struggles, personally and professionally, we would end the night with, we'll try again tomorrow. And sometimes you do just need, if you get overly frustrated and you're going, this is not going right, this isn't working, sometimes you just need to step away for a moment, recollect your thoughts, go back to it, and suddenly it's easier again. Yeah, and that's the betterment process, yes. right? Whereas if you're... Uh, if you are achieving for perfection, again, you could actually inhibit your process. Correct. You could inhibit your ability to process a situation, right? Not process like a document, but how I relate to this moment, how yep. I relate to this experience. Right. And if you were striving for perfection, let's just say the piano lessons, for example. Sure. If you're trying to learn piano and you're striving to be per perfect, uh, let's say you want to be, you know, the next Beethoven or Bach, whatever. Sure, sure. And then you keep missing that one key. You're going to just absolutely be crushed, like you said. That's you're you're not going to want to continue. But if you take that time and just keep practicing, you will get better. You may not ever reach that level of Bach. Sure. But you may be the best in your community. Yes. Just because you kept trying. Yes. Yeah. And the, that, that perfection can create self-deprecation, right? Mm -hmm. This idea that 
uh, I'm not good enough. And that that's that's infectious like a disease, right? If you start to think that you are unable to do something, uh, that you are a failure in some capacity, that then spreads like a, a like an out of control wildfire, yes. right? And and that really is what we need to avoid as human beings. You have to want it, and you have to recognize that uh, the concept of failing forward. And I don't want to ju- ju- you know jump into failing forward because I think that that is different than Mister Perfect. It's related but different. And and I do have a little bit of a talking point prepared related to do that you? as well. Oh, okay. Uh, but I want to. So I'm going to jump into what the 1090 rule is. Yeah, I would uh, love to know because that sounds like a good tool. For us, right, and that's the big thing about this to- about this podcast, folks, is we don't want to just have a conversation. We want to equip our listeners with some tools, right? And yeah. it's one of the feedbacks that I've heard that people share with us uh, is a the, the quote of the week should be a tool, um, but that the actual hard concept that oftentimes we want to equip you with a tool that will benefit you, you know. And so I think that that's what uh, we're about to receive. So this is the the ten ninety rule. Is 10% of what happens to you, 90% of how you react. That's that's how life works. Yes. It's actually a statistical thing that has been shown through psych- psychological studies that 10% of what happens to you, yes. 90% of how you react. Yep. Yep. Makes, makes, uh, makes 100%. As you see, that was just, it makes 100%. That was my statement. Yeah. No, it makes 100% sense, right? Yeah, it does. And, and, and so it's, it's incredibly valuable to, to say that we actually have some agreed upon statistical uh, studies to say, again, it's not that 10% of what is actually happening. It's what, what are you going to do about it? Yep. Right? Are we going to curl up in the fetal position and, and just hang out there for days at a time. I, hey, if you got to hit the fetal position, understand that you got a time limit and you got to pull right out of it, yep. right? If and that's I'll, what you need, then you, you then then take that. But then understand that you're going to try again in a little bit. You're going to set a timer and you're going to get up again. But the biggest thing is to to make sure that you're also keeping yourself in check and not just lashing out at people because of it or you yes. know things like that. 100%. And that is so critical, especially if you're an emotional leader like myself. That I recognize that the my bucket is always very full, and oftentimes it spills over. I call it the beach ball effect. Yeah. Um, which uh, honestly would be a, another great opportunity. Again, that's another one of my little secrets to success. My own <clears throat> my own belief in what's called the beach ball effect. And just to reiterate what what Jeffrey had brought to the table is to make sure that you're not lashing out or you're not. Uh, misdirecting what is your frustration or what is your failure or what is your lacking at this moment. Because ultimately, the idea is that if you are struggling with missing that one key on the piano, then you need to put in place a process or practice that then helps you to, A, either hit that key appropriately or B, create a workaround that yeah. says, hey, maybe I'll just play a different portion or I'll harmonize with it. And so that key becomes less critical to the performance. Correct. Right? And that's the, the say, I can't stop wheels from falling off the, all the vehicles of, uh, of society. 
and mistakes will happen again from our business, whether uh, directly related to our technicians or indirectly related just based on the actual product that's used or the lack of the lug nut or whatever it might be. I can't stop that, but I can sure create supporting procedures to insulate, protect, or create a better experience. Yes. Like the song, um, maybe I'm harmonizing, I'm adding more depth to it, and now that one singular key that I'm struggling to hit exactly perfectly becomes less important. Correct. Still important, we still want to focus on it, but now we have supporting music to you know help that part of the process. Correct. So when you when we were talking about what topic uh, to use, and you sent me the Mister Perfect and your little summary, uh, which you hit at the beginning. No matter how many times you do things right. It's not how we respond. It's how, or it's how we respond when things don't go right. Yes. Um, so that made me think about it. And my little thought blurb that I wanted to share is leadership isn't defined by never failing. It's in fact defined by how you overcome your failings. And in my opinion, a leader that hasn't failed isn't taking enough risk. And Absolutely. that's not a true leader. I, I, I love it, Jeffrey. That's a great point. Uh, I don't know that I would have brought it up today, so I'm glad that you did, you know, because sometimes I get very uh, one-tracked on, you know, the how I perceive a situation or what I, you know, I'm ex excited to talk about. But that a individual who is appropriately putting themselves out there, and if you're listening to us, if you haven't failed yet, if you haven't had those days where you want to curl up in the fetal position, and realistically... You're not pushing hard enough, right? And that's not to say that I need you to go out and, and immediately run a marathon with no training, right? That's not, nobody's, nobody can, can ultimately be that successful. You're not all of a sudden going to, you know, get off, uh, get off the TV from playing, you know, watching your favorite rerun or playing Minecraft or switching careers. And you're, you're just not immediately going to jump out and run a marathon. No, but if you, if you say... I want to run a marathon, and then you start to start building your, sharpening your axe, building your routine, and, and exercising, and that first little bit of pain that you get in your side, you just say, oh, I'm done. I Correct. can't do it. Well, no, you, you haven't pushed hard enough. Correct. Correct. You haven't failed sufficiently to to then make the victory so sweeter. Right. Right? Uh, and, and no matter what it is in life, whether it is... Uh, you know, some form of IT programming, some type of physical pursuit, uh, some form of a project-based build, whether that be a home project or a, a professional project, that you, the obstacles that you will encounter along the way will make the end result all that much sweeter. It'll make you appreciate what you have gone through, those struggles. At the end, you look back and you go, I did that. You know what I mean? I overcame all of these things. Whereas yep. if you're not having to overcome something, you're just not pushing hard enough. And I, I think based on that and where we're at in this conversation that we definitely need to in the near future have a conversation about failing forward and, and expand Absolutely. on and that. I, I think that, you know, much like we had talked, you had started out and you said, hey, the, you know, the, the barriers to effective leadership, the three-part series that we just finished, um, this effective leadership, when we were defining what is effective leadership, there is this concept of Mr. Perfect and, and, and obviously not striving to be Mr. Perfect, uh, also not looking for Mr. Perfect to be out there in the world, right? right? 
understanding and giving some grace to other individuals to say, um, yes, I would have done this situation differently. Yes, I would have liked this to go differently. But ultimately, so long as that other person is willing to improve as well, that I'm willing to improve, then I give grace and I say, hey, yes, I see you. And we're, we're on this, we're in this boat rowing together, right? Yes. So, you know, that's the concept of, of Mr. Perfect. And I think failing forward is equally a relatable concept that is definitely worth its own conversation because it's so valuable because uh, I have this Rocky Balboa quote. I, I love that certainly the, the ones around me that I love and, and support me the most recognize this in me. And um, it's Rocky Balboa. The, the succinct version is it's not how many times you get hit, but how many times you get up. Yep. Right. Uh, same concept. It's the 10% of the time of what is happening to you, 90% of how you react. That's flat out. That's your tool for the day, right? Yes. It's one out of nine, right? This is going to be a crummy situation, but the bulk of 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 the situation is how you respond. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a tremendous amount of personal responsibility that our society, especially Western culture, is lacking. Again, American Hustle is about... United States of America and how we in the Western culture respond to things. Yes. That's who's going to benefit the most from these conversations. And right now, as a Western culture, we are lacking personal responsibility. There is a number. uh, Talk about the Pareto principle that you addressed. There is a minority of people carrying the weight of society. Yes. And that is not a geopolitical conversation whatsoever. That is just people who are out there who are busting their butt. There's a bunch of people who are good, hard workers, and they're just their ambition is not the same as the other ones. This is not about politics or finances or anything like that. It's about personal responsibility. Uh, what is my contribution to my community, to my family, to uh, to the people around me? Because what I heard you say about being the best piano player, maybe you're not going to be the next Beethoven, Bach, or Mozart, or whatever. But maybe you're going to be your community's best piano player. Right. Right? That's the Pareto principle. We don't need to necessarily be that 1%. Uh, we need to be in that top, top-tier top you know, performers in our local community to support. You're going to play at the church. You're going to play in the park on Sundays. You're going to be known as that piano performer. And, the, and our society needs those individuals to drive us forward. Yes. That's just the reality of the situation. Yes, 1% of people will go on to be the hyper elite, but that's not what this is about. This is about being the best you in in your world. Correct. You know what I mean? And that's what we, it's not Mr. Perfect, not the, the 1%. It's that best piano player for your local community. And you know what? If you have that attitude and you are in that mindset that you're not striving to become the best, you may actually become the best. I and I, we've actually talked about that in 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 talking about ego and, um, you know, arguably being humble in that process to say, yes, I want to be the best me that I can be, right? And and inevitably, you might actually just race ahead of the pack because all of those those times where you just have a crappy day and you try again the next day, you know, you might just become that hyper elite individual if you just don't give up and you just keep you know sharpening your axe absolutely over and over again this is a super super interesting concepts folks and it's so valuable to say when you look at your day 
Are you setting yourself up for success? Did you make a to-do list today with, I don't know, 3,648 points on it that you think you should accomplish <laughs> that you're setting yourself up for failure? Yep. Did you think that all the New Year's resolution? Yeah. If you if you are are in a your soap making business and you know last week you made I don't know five hundred dollars in soap sales around town and and on the internet and this week you say hey you know what I'm gonna make I'm gonna make fifteen thousand dollars this week you you're setting yourself up for for failure yep right you're doing that to yourself now. Uh, here's the thing that's you're seeking perfection when it just doesn't need to happen. What you need to do is focus on those short, short term attainable goals. Try again tomorrow and say, how can I just get a little bit better? Right. You were talking about goals, uh, smart goals. We're going to have to discuss that as well. That's a great tool. Um, and it fits in so many places. I think that maybe we'll end up doing uh, a concept on, on just what smart goals are and break them down. Uh, you know, word by, letter by letter and actually pay, give people an excellent tool. Uh, and honestly, I can I can recognize this is how we respond right now. How many times do we things perfectly, but how we respond, I can recognize that we internally should be employing smart goals. It should be one little simple thing, one little change that we make at this point and and start employing that now. Is that I can say that, you know, I can talk the talk, but am I ready to walk the walk, right? That's always part of the conversation. Well, and, and you know, I've worked for different companies that have employed different techniques for using smart goals. Some companies have done it at a managerial level. Some have done it as a, a group environment where you discuss it through and come up with goals as a team. Mm -hmm. uh, one company really stood out was that you did have the, the company values as well, the company goals, but then each individual salesperson carried a smart card with them. Yes. At the beginning of the week, they set their goals for, for what they hope to attain for sales for the week, uh, and the manager would have to review it and initial that card. They carried it in their pocket as a constant reminder of what their goals were, and to me, that was probably the most effective use of it that I've ever seen because it was managed and maintained yes i think as most companies that would try to employ that would not actually efficiently manage that would not maintain that just because it is a difficult thing to just continually reinforce every week after week so i could see that not always working mm -hmm. but the fact that there are ways to implement it within every company sure. is what matters and, and i think that is valuable is that sometimes uh this is that you know we have an idea and we want to engage in it and we get it into it and you realize that it's not working, yes. right? Or you, you recognize that it's very challenging to maintain with the staff or with the processes that you currently are doing. And I think that that is, again, a situation where you go, okay, this is not a waste of time. All right. This again, this goes back to that concept of awareness and, you know, kind of a little bit of the soccer analogy or the, the, the music analogy. We got into it, we tried a concept, and I've gained awareness of areas where we need or can improve in. Yep. That's what's valuable. Not that, hey, we failed at maintaining this smart goal, you know, card, uh, you know, activity amongst our employees. If that's your focus, then we have to work on what you're focusing on. You have to say, hey, we had a group and uh, a, a collective leadership to say, hey, we should try something. Yes. We should try this 
and see if we can make it stick. Did we actually work hard at making it work? Yeah, give uh, it a realistic give it effort. Give it a realistic effort. Absolutely. Thank you for saying that because we don't want to be wishy-washy. We don't want to just, you know, go through the motions. Yeah. But did I give this effort and why didn't it work out, right? Okay, so it didn't work out for X, Y, and Z. Is there another tool that we can employ? Is there uh, another opportunity to refine something uh, an interaction throughout the week that will encourage a more sustainable uh, forethought and goal setting process. Right. Those are the things that we have to focus our attention on and not, oh, hey, we tried this smart card and we failed at it only after three weeks. And the other thing is when you're looking at those, trying different processes, try, actually try the different processes instead of just saying, oh, well, It'll get better. We'll do this eventually. Or what? eventually we'll do this. No, because eventually you're going to not do that. You're just going to keep saying eventually or maybe someday we'll do this. Right. No, you you just need to implement it and try it. If it doesn't work, you know that it doesn't work, but maybe you learn why it doesn't work and you could try another process that might be better. Uh, And that is exactly it. Uh, Folks, the idea that it's not how many times we do things exactly right. Yes, that is what we want to try and strive for, but it is how we respond when things are not going our way. Do you have the resiliency? Do you have the stamina to see through the goal or dream that you have established for yourself? That is going to differentiate yourself, differentiate you from those in your market, in your you know, in your trajectory of whatever it is you're choosing to do. Yes. Now, how many times you get hit but how many and fall down, but how many times you get back up. Correct. Right? All of these ideas is what you can control, the personal self-responsibility that you bring to your position. And do you have a realistic outlook? Not the idea of, hey, I have to strive for per- perfection. You have to strive for getting better. That is so, so valuable. Am I a little bit better today or this week or this month than I was from my previous self? Yep. This was a great conversation. I hope that you got something valuable out of it. We're going to take a moment and transition for the quote of the week. And then at the very end, we'll we'll tell you how you can get involved with us and we'll say our goodbyes. And this is my world now. The secret of crisis management is not good versus bad. It's preventing the bad from getting worse. Andy Gilman. That is awesome. That uh, And I mean, obviously, uh, I don't know who Andy is. I, maybe I should be more familiarized. But that is, uh, they're talking about crisis management. And I, I think that that is uh, critically important to say that what the concept we're talking about today is about when a customer is dissatisfied, when an employee is dissatisfied, when you are dissatisfied with what is happening, right? That is what it is. So it is. it has become crisis level conversation. The secret of crisis management is not good versus bad. Oh, was this okay? Was this not okay? It's pre- preventing the bad. It's already bad. Yeah. It's preventing the bad from getting worse. This is, I'm already in the suck if you will. Yeah. It is bad. This is not good. This is not what I intended to happen. And I think we have all been there on, on minor and on catastrophic levels. Oh, yeah. Right? That's part of life. Life happens. 
and sometimes it's crummy. And why is this happening to me? And what did I do that got me in this position? You know, why do good things, you know, why do bad things happen to good people? All of those concepts. Yeah. This is going to happen. It's preventing the bad from getting worse. I am sitting here at a fork in the road and I can curl up into that fetal position and lie there and wait to die. Or I can recognize that I've got a time frame to feel my feelings and then I got to get up again. Yep. You know, and that is so, so valuable, folks. I'm not saying you shouldn't feel your feelings. I'm not saying the fetal position is where you shouldn't end up at the end of the day. It might happen to you. I'm going to counter. You said there's a time frame that you may have to feel your feelings and then get up again. Sometimes, depending on the crisis, you need to deal with it first, handle the situation, and then take a moment after it's been resolved to feel your feelings. That's that's true, too. That is true, too, because ultimately uh, some of our best crisis management folks can, you know, we've heard the concept of staying calm under pressure. They, You're still going to have those feelings, right? Oh, yeah. They exist whether or not you are in that uh, initial impactful moment or whether it's an hour, two hours, two days or two months later. We have to then obviously address those feelings as well. And when So my, back to my fire department years, uh, one of the things that I was told I was oddly good at, and in some ways I think could have been a negative, but the ability to disassociate. Yes. When you're in a crisis situation, you need that ability to disassociate your feelings from the situation, look at it from a factual and... and, uh, Kind of a calm and collected... Calm and collected status. Yep. If you let your emotions control your decisions... Yep. Oftentimes you can make a crisis worse. Yes. So if you take that moment, disassociate, handle it calm and collectively based on facts, not on emotions, you can often make the situation better. Now, the flip side of that is you do need the time to process the emotions. Sure. So you got to handle the situation and then maybe it's a week later, maybe it's a couple days later. But the emotions need to be handled and addressed. Absolutely. And that is valuable for even again. You know, the frustration of when that wheel loosens up 500, 600, 700 miles down the road, and I am frustrated. The time is not to be frustrated on the phone with the customer. Correct. You know, the customer shipment shows up at their house. It's not right. That time is not to be frustrated is not then and there. You're sitting at the the church committee meeting and you're processing an event that's happening and the DJ is not available time to get emotional is not then and there. And maybe that's something we should have spent a little more time on uh, during the initial conversation about reacting and how and when we process those emotions. Uh, I think that that's a great concept because emotional leadership is actually a super valuable piece to just leading in your home, leading in your workplace, Leading in your community, right? And again, it's that piano player. It's not the 1% piano player that's, you know, playing across the nation to nation. It's that community-based individual, right? And emotional leadership is critically valuable, but obviously that's... There's a time and place for There's a time and place. That's part of that processing of how do we make things better. There is a lot of depth to these conversations. We genuinely want you to learn from some of our mistakes. We want to learn from some of your positives and negatives that have affected you. It's 
so valuable that the only way for us to become better as individuals, as humans, as a community is in a shared experience, right? That is why we are bringing our message to you, our listeners, and we want our listeners to share with us. So you can join in this conversation by emailing the producer himself, J-E-F-F-C at S-F-J 4x4.com. That's the number 4x4.com. Or you can hit us up on our text only number, 440-855-2100. And tell us about your experience. Share with us. Tell us the good, the bad. When have things hit the fan for you and your pursuits and you had to dig down deep utilize a tool or a process or a mindset or an attitude. Tell us what got you through that moment. How did you handle it? And and how did you emerge out the other side of it? Man, this has been a great conversation. I hope that you found something valuable in it today. Please reach out to us. Let us know your thoughts on it. Suggest some topics for the future and make sure to get out there and get hungry. And stay hungry. The American dream is not dead. We want to help you along the way. With over 40 years of combined leadership experience, we want to help you succeed. Share your stories, ask us questions, and believe in the American dream. Through heart and hustle, we will show you the path of success and hopefully have a little fun along the way. You can email us at jeffc at sfj4x4.com or text us at 440-855-2100. Until next time, lead with your heart and keep hustling.